Make sure you check out the new album by Book of Ghosts. It's a really cool fusion of a lot of different heavy genres, creating something really unique, and I highly recommend it. Follow them on Instagram at Book of Ghosts Official to find out more and check out the album today. Hey, this is Steve-O from Clipwing and In Two Months. If you're listening to the Witch Police Podcast, chances are you love local music. Well, one thing I find pairs well with local tunes is local brew. If you're like me and enjoy a tasty ale while taking in your tunage, I strongly suggest you check out the Beer Boutique at 910 Region Avenue in front of the new Best Western Premier Hotel. At the Beer Boutique, our mission is to provide a unique experience for those hunting for heavenly hops. We have a rotating growler bar loaded with the freshest brews the city has to offer, host local craft tastings each and every Thursday, and our staff are some of the most well-versed in the biz. Further to that, we also carry a large selection of cider and coolers should that tickle your fancy. So come stop in and say hi to the team in green at 910 Region Avenue and show your support for Peg Proud Brews. Now take it away, Sam. Hey friends, hope everyone's dealing with this coronavirus thing as well as could be expected. I know uh, self-isolation is a bit difficult for all of us, but uh, you know, hopefully the silver lining is that it's giving you more opportunity to do things like listen to podcasts or pursue your own creative ideas. It's a weird situation for everyone in the world, myself included, and uh, hopefully all of you are getting through it okay. When I was about 15 years old, maybe 14, I first really started getting into the local music scene. I remember going to Polo Park because A, it was the closest mall, and B, it had three record stores in the mall itself, and then three or four more, like right across the street and in neighboring buildings and just outside. So it was kind of a good hub. That and downtown were the hubs of where I went to go buy music. And I remember buying the CD the first time I heard the guest on this show, Derek Kuhn, who was uh, originally the singer of Guy Smiley, later went on to burn the A track, and is currently doing some of his own stuff now. But I first heard him by, I'm pretty sure I just picked up the copy of Guy Smiley's album Augur just off the shelf based on nothing other than the cover and the fact that I had started going to the local section and sort of picking something new up every time I went to the store. And so I grabbed Augur, I put it on, I loved it, and I've been kind of listening to that band on and off really ever since. And that was, you know, more than two decades ago. So it's pretty cool that uh, I got a chance to talk to Derek. It's a really easy conversation. I think we could have gone for a lot longer, and even at the end, we suggest maybe we should do a part two. But, you know, we get into kind of an overview of his career, of the two major bands, Guy Smiley and Burn the A-Track, as well as what he's doing now, and he's got a lot of stories. I mean, that band did a ton of touring. They had uh, experiences with some pretty big labels, and, you know, befriending and touring with some really high-profile bands, and so it, it was cool to catch up. I hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome to Witch Police Radio. Uh, we're still in quarantine zone where I'm doing uh, remote interviews, which is fun. I mean, it's nicer to do face-to-face, but uh, this one kind of <laughs> happened sort of last minute. Um, 
the guest on this episode commented on one of my Instagram posts and then it was like, oh, I should have you on the podcast. So <laughs> I think maybe the best way to explain who you are is if you want to just introduce yourself, because I have an idea of who you are based on listening to your music, but you've yeah. been in a bunch of bands, you're doing things now that's different from what you would have done back then. And yeah. I think maybe if you want to just kind of lay it out in uh, point form, who you are, what you've done, that's maybe a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Derek Kuhn. I've been uh, around a long, long time. Um, my first, uh, well, I played in a number of bands when I was young in high school. and But then uh, the first band that started to see some success was a band called Guy Smiley. And I sang in that band for a number of years, about eight years. And we got to uh, release a number of albums on uh, a few different record labels like Small Man Records and Epitaph Records and toured all over uh, a good portion of the world. And then uh, directly after we stopped that, I formed a band called Burn the A-Track and again, signed to a few different uh, record labels being Century Media and uh, Curve Universal and a few others. And again, got to travel a lot. Um, and that band never actually broke up. We just kind of went on a bit of a hiatus. Okay. And, uh, and we still get together a number of us and jam and have a bunch of new material. We just, everybody's so busy. So I, I write a bunch of solo stuff as well, among other things that I do in my life. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I think definitely the entry point for your music for me was Guy Smiley. Um, sure. I'm not sure. I was trying to think before we did this of when I first heard you. But I think uh, well, I first the first album I heard was Augur. And I must have been about 14 when that came out. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I'd actually seen you live at like an all-ages show before that or if I just saw right. it. I know I bought it at the Sam the Record Man in Polo Park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe dates it a bit, right? But like, um, like going back, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have a very specific memory for some reason of buying that CD off the 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 local section, right on the wall there, and yeah, and so sure. I heard it and I loved it, and then I saw you live a few times uh, over the years. Um, so when did Guy Smiley actually get started? Because I, I'm just you know I kind of jumped in at that point, but I know you must have been around before that, right? Yeah, well, and actually, it's an interesting story because people equate me as being the singer of Guy Smiley, which I was for almost the entire time, but I didn't actually start with the band. Uh, okay. the band guy, the band guy smiley started without me about six or seven months before I joined. And it was uh, a guy named John Woods that was singing and, uh, you know, things changed. He decided to do a different project. The guys wanted to go in a different direction. And so I joined the band. It would have been, this is really aging me, but okay. probably 1992. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say the band, we changed the sound quite a bit over that year and uh started playing locally and it didn't take long before we got on tour cool and i think even over the course of the time that i knew of your band you changed the sound quite a bit too i mean i know you had a few lineup Absolutely. changes and and yeah. album to album it was it was still the same band obviously but there was definitely different influences and different things happening yeah absolutely if you listen to those three albums they're in some ways you can almost listen to them and think it's almost three different bands, especially from Augur to Alkaline as yeah. an example. But I think a lot of that has to do with us just maturing as musicians and getting, getting better at what we did. What was the, uh, the local music scene like when you first started? Because again, like I, you know, I'm a yeah. bit younger, I came in in the mid nineties and started going to shows. So I missed kind of that first part of the nineties as far as the local scene was concerned. For sure. You know what? It was thriving. It was, such an exciting time in Winnipeg. There were so many great bands. You know, Propaganda had started to yeah. uh, play a lot regularly. So we played a bunch of shows with them, and they had just this huge following. Twelve Eyes, Red Fisher. You know, I I made a comment on one of your posts yeah. with Catch and Release. When I got that album, that cassette. I mean, I had been 
skateboarding with Jason Tate and uh, had known uh, known Johnny for a long time. But uh, I loved that record as well as their uh, their earlier EP. And um, so those were just incredible bands. And Red Fisher to me is the one band that I think could have been more successful than any of of, yeah. uh, of us because they were just so great. Um, but no, every, like there were continual shows and there were a bunch of great bands coming in at that time. The live scene was fantastic at that time. It's kind of funny how often Red Fisher comes up with local musicians as, as being this cornerstone kind of influential band. And yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. get to the level of a propaganda or... No, you know, and it, it was weird because I mean I, I have that tape. It's great, and I have uh, Warwagon as well. It's also great. Yeah, but, it's great. Album. Yeah, like I, I I don't know what 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 do you think happened that didn't did how, how come they didn't make it to that level? I I really don't know what happened. I mean, you know, the thing with those guys is, and I, I kind of like this about them. They were kind of deep into punk rock roots, where they were happy to release their own music. Yeah, they they weren't looking to become. I know they got taken out for dinner a number of times by major labels. But they, I don't think that was really a big interest of theirs. And, you know, Johnny ended up playing guitar and burned the A-track for a long time. He would come on tour with us and do do a lot of our tours with us. So we grew really close. Cool. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's such an incredible talent. And I just think they all had different things going on. And, you know, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm glad that stuff still exists somewhere. I mean, I know it's, some of it's online yeah. on YouTube and stuff and people can still hear it. Because I think they're like the most frequently cited band by people of that era. As being Absolutely, this amazing yeah. thing, and yeah, a lot of people my age and younger just we miss them, right? So we never. Of saw course, them. Yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. When, when you started, Guy Smiley, but when Guy Smiley started with you in it, yeah. uh, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, sure. What, what type of music did you consider it? I mean, I, I think it's a punk band, but was it? Did you think of it as a hardcore band? Did you think of it as? It's... <laughs> you know, and it's a terrible question, even now, because no, it's so not. Hard, but like, it's not a terrible question actually, because uh, throughout our career. People have always had a very difficult time pinpointing exactly what yeah. we were. We all had so many different unique influences. I came into the band um, with a lot of different influences than maybe a couple of the guys. You know, Ryan, the drummer, was really into metal. And okay. he loved a- 80s metal. But then he also had some punk influence and was playing in some punk rock bands. Jamie, the bass player, he grew up in ska and then operation ivy and you know a lot of bands like that but then agnostic front like new york hardcore and uh for me i i was a skateboarder i mean that was my whole life was skateboarding it's all i cared about so skate rock and then you know bands like descendants and of course suicidal suicidal tendencies which were more intense bad brains yeah so so i came in with a lot of punk rock influence but then i also had bands like big drill car that were more melodic punk that i just adored so we had this weird mix of things, and I think it took us a long time to really find our sound for that reason. Well, I think you had, you know, for, for, as a listener anyway, you had some stuff that was just almost right leaning into the alt rock stuff too. I mean, even yeah, outside right. of the punk thing, right, and, and the metal. Totally, and all that. yeah, yeah. it's kind of yeah. cool. And I, and I and I loved that music too. It's funny because, uh, you know, I, people always laughed at this because I can remember being on tour in Europe with guys smiling, and after playing shows, I'd get on the tour bus. And I would uh, get into my bunk and I would listen to, I wouldn't be listening to punk rock. I would be listening to Sarah McLachlan okay. or, Blue Ro- or Blue Rodeo or, or some different, you know, alternative bands over the years, like Screaming Trees or whoever, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, that's just, we all had interests in different types of music. And you think that stuff seeped into the Guy Smiley songs, just, just like subconsciously? Yeah, 
I think subconsciously it did. I, man, it's been a long time since I listened to a lot of that stuff. But I, I also had a big uh, um, hardcore and punk rock influence. Like Dag yeah. Nasty was my, you know, Dave Smalley was my hero growing sure. up. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and, and same with the other guys. So, yeah, I think a lot of influences seeped into our music for sure. At what point did, I mean, I know like you, you were on Small Man for a while, right? And then, yeah. and then Epitaph came around and everything like that, which yeah. was kind of I remember hearing about that as as a teenager and, and being a fan of your band and think, well this is like the big leagues, right? <laughs> like did, did yeah, things change it was. significantly for you for that? Like when that happened? Yeah, it was crazy because you know, I mean much like you, I grew up listening to music and, and uh I mean Bad Religion was one of my all time favorite yeah. bands. And what happened with us is we started to build quite a fan base in Canada and the States. Just we were touring independently doing it all ourselves. And we got on a big tour across Canada uh, with Pennywise and H2O and Ignite okay. and Guttermouth, which didn't last long on that tour. It's a whole other story. <laughs> and and uh, Jughead's Revenge and a band called Stealth, which was Daryl Jennifer's. Yeah, from Bad Brains. From, yeah. from Bad Brains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had that band. Stealth CD, so, yeah. Yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah, it's and, different anyway, yeah. So, I mean, this is a not a, a short story, but it's kind of an interesting story. We worked really hard and... Uh, what happened was Guttermouth got kicked off the tour before we joined the tour. Okay. And Choke was on that tour as well. And so Choke carried on for a couple more shows. Well, what ended up happening is Pennywise was joining the tour in Toronto. But we had, I think, a show in Thunder Bay and a show in Sault Ste. Marie before that. And no one, none of the main bands wanted to headline the show because Guttermouth was the headliner at that time. And they were kind of fighting about it. H2O and Jughead's Revenge were all kind of like, we don't want to headline the show. Like, you know, whatever. So we kind of stepped up and said, you know what? We'll headline the show. We don't care. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we played that show and we headlined in, over all those bands in Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie. And it went over super well. And the bands gained, we gained a lot of respect with the bands. So when we got to Toronto and Montreal, we were playing these, you know, because the shows there were huge. Yeah, bet, The yeah. Opera House and... Uh, a few other places. We just made friends with all these bands. And at the end of that tour, Ignite asked us to come to Europe with them. H2O asked us to come to Europe with them. Fletcher from Pennywise was going to produce our next album. Oh, cool. That did, didn't happen because uh, something happened with a tour of theirs. And then Daryl Jennifer was going to produce our album. And then Bad Brains got back together. So that right. didn't happen. But all these things happened. Jughead's Revenge asked us if we come to on a tour of the States with them. So it was interesting. So the first tour we did out of all those was with H2O. They brought us to Europe. Cool. And they had started to gain a pretty huge following when they were on Epitaph. And they said to us, I remember them talking to Rusty Pistachio from the band's uh, you know, phone call a couple days before. He said, when you get out here, we're getting you guys signed to Epitaph. Cool. And I remember thinking that was super, what a nice thing to say. Well, yeah, yeah. W you know, we arrived in, in Amsterdam and the guys from Epitaph picked us up oh, cool. at the airport. And uh, we hung out with them at the offices. And that was so exciting because for me, I mean, so many bands I loved were on that record label. Well, that night we played the Milkweg in Amsterdam, which is a great venue. At the end of that show, backstage we were negotiating a record deal it was just wow. crazy you know it was crazy and then they were taking us out for dinner for the next month on that whole tour and uh it was just super exciting it was a, a super exciting time and it was big for us because suddenly we were just getting on all these big tours and we we're touring europe regularly and the states regularly so it was exciting 
That's cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. especially like growing up listening to that music too. That must have been very uh, big deal. To, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it was one of the more exciting moments of my life, for bet, sure. yeah. and all on all of ours because we'd worked really hard yeah. to that point. Was Alkaline the only record that came out on that label? Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, that was unfortunately, it wasn't Epitaph's choice. What happened was the band just, we'd been on the road for about eight years straight at the time. The album came out. We went on tour uh, in Europe with Ignite. It went super well. And that was, 
you know, our second tour with Ignite, and they've long stories with them because they've become some of my best friends in my life. Cool. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the band in a lot of ways imploded at that point, and and there were we'd been spending about two hundred. 200 to 250 days of, of, of the year on the road. And, you know, things just started to fracture. Yeah. As, as it sometimes does when you're on tour so much with guys for eight years. And, you know, there was some, some issues with substance abuse in the band that's, uh, you know, affected things along with ego, you know, sure. I mean, uh, you know, and that doesn't discount me, you know, <laughs> bat- battling egos with each other. Yeah. And, it was it was really disheartening, but uh, and we had just gotten ready to sign to Epitaph. It looked like we were going to sign with Epitaph worldwide. We had two new songs that were uh, working towards a full album, which actually never came out. Oh, wow. And they're two or, two of our I'd say are two of our best songs. But yeah, things just imploded. So that is the only album that came out on Epitaph. When when did the band break up officially? Do you remember what year it was? Yeah, it would have been two thousand. Okay. Uh, you know, we'd been on tour with Ignites for a while, and we were getting ready to do a tour with the Misfits, and you know, just some stuff went down, and yeah. you know, it was it was a bad breakup, to be honest with you. But the great thing about it is we're we're all friends. We didn't speak to each other for a long time for a number of the members of the band, but you know, time does heal wounds, yeah. and, and we're all, we're all good friends again. So that's it's good to hear. Out. Yeah, 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 for sure. This is just a weird question from my own interest um yeah i know you played a lot of shows you probably don't remember half of them just because you've done sure, so many yeah. but do you remember a show it must have been 2000 where you guys played with a whole shit ton of local bands in a building across from the uaw i think it was like a a closed down art gallery or something and oh. it had been cleared out and it was like a underground show that wasn't supposed to be happening there but it was and you guys headlined would that be Guy Smiley or would that be Burn the H? No, it would have been Guy Smiley. It was around right around 2000. Shit. And uh, I was in a terrible band that played at that show, and I remember we were very excited that Guy Smiley was headlining. And it was, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I, trying to... I mean, it's, it's a Sorry, weird one. Ahead. It's a weird one. I, I wouldn't expect you to remember it, but... I'm just trying to remember what the venue was. I mean... I think it was we... where the labor, label gallery was, maybe. Oh. It was somewhere in that... There was like a building that was closed and it was shut down and you had to go around the back to get in and somehow <laughs> somehow you guys were involved in it and yeah i don't yeah, know yeah i, it was I cool, can't though, recall yeah. exactly yeah. but uh man we played some strange venues I over believe the years, but that's cool yeah, I, and yeah. i i appreciate that uh that one you played with us and yeah, that you yeah. re- remember it fondly because you know one thing that all of us took uh great pride in is it didn't matter if we were headlining our tours headlining our shows locally headlining our shows in Europe or opening shows in Europe, we always made a point of watching all the bands because uh, when we were young, I distinctly remember one of the first big shows that we opened for was No Effects and Face to Face at the Rendezvous. Okay. And we were pretty excited because that was a big show for us and we were kind of kicking off. And I remember Fat Mike watching our show. And I took real note of that because to me, that meant so much to me. And I remember thinking to myself, whenever we have bands opening for us, if we get to that point, I want to watch those bands yeah. because it means a lot to people. And it always meant a lot to me when people did that for us. For sure. Well, and then yeah. you also get to see new music too. I mean, it's like the added benefit, right? You could see a great band and go buy yeah, the record. Listen, yeah, yeah. We played in Chicago and we headlined a show and opening the show was a band called Leonard's Innards. Okay, good name. They, they were second. They were next to us. And the band that opened that show, it was their first show ever. 
and I still have the poster for it, and that band was Alkaline Trio. Oh, wow. And, and look where and they ended up. Like, they've done so well. Listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they surpassed us a hundredfold, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and such a great band. So, yeah, I remember seeing that show, and I've seen so many great bands that, to me, very often were better than we were. Yeah. And uh, that's just reality. I mean, great music. I, I got to, to meet so many great musicians over those years. Yeah, that's cool. I guess that added benefit of doing so much touring, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Some great, great bands. You took our game. How soon after Guy Smiley ended did Burn the Eight Track start? It was a pretty, it was a funny transition actually. What happened was um, 
when the band kind of imploded, I still had uh, a Misfits tour booked. So a North American Misfits tour was, I think, two months long. We'd already toured with Misfits as Guy Smiley once and became very, very close friends with the guys. And which, so, which version of the Misfits was that? It was with Michael Graves. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, who was great, actually. He yeah. was a great singer. I mean, it's what a tough gig. You're never going to top Tanzig, you know? But he did a great job, and the shows were fantastic. Um, so that was our first tour with them, was a North American tour, and I think we did European dates. No, actually, we didn't do European dates, but we just hung out with them a bit on your, in our European tour. Oh, cool. Um, but so anyway, the band kind of imploded. We were on tour with Ignite at the time. We had to cancel that tour, but I had a Misfits tour booked for three weeks later. And you know what? So what I did is I brought in Sam Osland, who was uh, he was doing some sound for Guy Smiley as well as selling merchandise. Okay. And, and he was an excellent drummer and one of my longest friends. We've been friends since we were 12 years old. And my brother, who was a guitar player. And a guy named Kevin Felis who played in 12 Eyes. Oh, cool. Okay. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I wasn't ready to stop touring. So we went on tour, and I hired those guys as a guy smiley uh, for that last tour. And, you know, I mean, in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best thing because, it, well, in some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. It wasn't maybe true to Guy Smiley because, you know, Guy Smiley was what it was. Yeah. I take great pride in all, all the members of that band. But, uh, you know, those guys filled in so admirably. And what happened was halfway through that tour, it, it was going so fantastic. But we all kind of made a decision that once that tour was over, maybe it was time to lay Guy Smiley to rest and start burning the A-Track. So really, I mean, it, it was great because it allowed us all to play together on that tour, finish uh, playing shows. And uh, the, the day we got back, we started practicing for Burn the A-Track. Did I imagine that having all that experience and all that that history touring with Guy Smiley helped to to get the word out about Burn the A Track and get you, uh, oh, you know, all the connections? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. No question. So, um, you know, I I built a pretty good um, group of friends and contacts over the years because one thing I always try and I think the band in general prided ourselves on is being nice to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it paid off, and, and so. Yeah, we, we had built a pretty good uh, group of connections and friends in different bands. And uh, once we got demos together, this is kind of interesting. Um, so when I was with Guy Smiley, we lived in New York for about a year. And we toured Canturn, or probably we recorded Canturn back there. Okay. And we were, we were playing, we became kind of a local band in New York City, right? So we were playing the Lion's Den, and we were playing Bitter End, and we were doing Sunday matinees at CBGB's. That's awesome. Which, which was a dream come true for me, too, yeah. because that whole scene was, you know, I mean, so many great bands have played that stage. But I remember this young guy came up to me uh, after one of our shows. His name was Dave Stein. And Dave was this like hardcore straight, straight edge hardcore kid. And I remember him coming up to, to me after the show and saying, you know, you guys, you guys at Ignite are kind of doing something different from most of the other hardcore bands I know. And he, we became friends and he really liked the band. Well, Dave became a pretty successful lawyer. Okay. And he represented a whole bunch of punk rock and hardcore bands. And, uh, so what ended up happening is that like, he represented sick of it all and agnostic fronts and mad ball and all these oh, yeah, bands yeah, yeah. that we'd done some shows with and so when burn the eight track started and i did some demos i sent them to him actually it was interesting because it was right after 9 11 i'd contacted him to see man that's really aging me i can't believe I, <laughs> it feels like yesterday but yeah, yeah. I, 
I contacted him to see how he was doing because his offices were right near the World Trade Center. I was really, really worried about him. Anyway, he was okay, and you know, some friends weren't, and we just got to chatting. He'd asked me what I was up to, and I, I sent him some some of our early demos, and he loved it. So he said to me, he said, "You know what, man? I, I uh, I'm going to shop your stuff for you." And at this point, he'd become, you know, pretty renowned in the punk rock scene. Yeah. Well, next thing you know, we had a showcase in L.A. with like 20 record labels. So he said, you got to be in L.A. in a week and a half. <laughs> so we got in the van and we drove down to L.A. and we played these four shows. And yeah, next thing you know, we had offers from a bunch, you know, not a bunch, but a few yeah, pretty yeah. significant record labels. And it, like it took off from there. And then Ignite, who we would played shows with. You know, they were close friends of ours. When we were doing those shake showcases, I was staying with Brett and Zoli. Oh, cool. From Ignite. And, uh, yeah, next thing you know, we were playing shows with them. And then we got signed to Century Media, which was this gigantic metal label. Yeah. And they signed us not as a metal band, but they said they wanted – they were trying to get a crossover thing happening with more melodic punk rock. And so they signed us to be that band. And okay. uh, it was crazy. I mean, suddenly we were – we had all these ads in big magazines, and, and uh, we were getting played on the radio. We had this big national American um, radio thing going yeah. on, and we were getting played on MTV2. It was crazy, right? So yeah, it really, a lot of it stemmed from, from the work we did with Guy Smiley, so it was wonderful. Did you, do you feel that Burn the A-Track was more easy to define genre-wise? It's interesting because... A lot of people still had a tough time defining that band, but I would say so. And I mean, I was very proud of Guy Smiley's work, but I think that for myself, I, I became a much better writer okay. along with the rest of the guys in Burn the A-Track and a much better singer uh, in Burn the A-Track. So it was more melodic, as most people would probably yeah. agree to. That isn't to say it was better. It was just a different type of, type of music. But I think a lot more of my personal influences were able to come across in it. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people started comparing us to to bands like Face to Face and bands like uh, Hot Water Music. And yeah. I could see the I could see that. And that was uh, to us. That was a big compliment because we loved those bands. And I guess that was kind of the time, too, when that stuff was really doing well. That melodic hardcore stuff was really kind of. Yeah. In people's. Yeah, it was. And, and it's funny, too, because at the same time, you know, my brother. He he did get me into punk rock as a kid. My brother's an older; he's older than me. He's a couple years older, but he like his bands were U two and Jane's okay. Addiction and and the Cults. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, whereas uh, Sam Osland was a massive Police fan, and you know, and as well into punk rock. So there were interesting genre mixes of influences there. But for me, I think uh, it was a big challenge for me. I became a much better lyricist and I think a better singer at that time. Cool.
how many records did Burn the Eight Track put out? I have two of them. I, did, I think there's yeah, so, more than that, though, right? I have uh, The well, Ocean, and then I have uh, the one that the name of I always forget with the fire and stuff on the cover. Yeah, Fear of Falling Skies. That, yes, that one. Thank you. So, yeah, what happened was we released, uh, an, well, really, it was a demo at first, and that's what got us signed, and that was called the Division EP. Okay. And that was five or six songs um, that got us most, well, got us a lot of attention. So what ended up happening is our that was our demo, and then our first major release was The Ocean. Yeah. And fortunately, it was a, a really big worldwide release, which is, was incredibly exciting for me because I found with Guy Smiley just when we got that big release yeah. is when we kind of imploded. Sure, so, yeah, yeah. So to have all this press behind us and videos on MTV and all these things, it was cool. Um, so, yeah, anyway, The Ocean came out. And then we had Century Media. We we were on an offshoot of Century Media called Abacus Records. Okay, and that's a whole other story. I don't know if you want to get me into what happened there, but <laughs> uh, what ended up happening is Abacus and Century Media. The whole ownership of Abacus switched. Okay, uh, after the ocean, and we were in the middle of recording Fear of Falling Skies. So uh, we had this big budget for the record, but but. Uh, once the album was recorded, it wasn't getting released. Okay. And we were like, what's what's going on? And uh, so we flew down. My brother and I flew down to, to California. We were visiting family, too. Most of our families there. Okay. And what happened was everybody at the record label that worked with us was no longer there. So it was a pretty bad scene. We were yeah. like, we, we sunk our heart and soul into this album. And to this day, I think that Fear of Falling Skies is, is the the best work I've ever done. Okay. And we loved it. So we'd had this album in the ocean that went out to really quite successful reviews uh, around the world. And the follow-up was anticipated, but suddenly we got, we got shelved, you know, and we watched Juliana's theory, another yep. pretty renowned band sure. get shelved by the label before us. And how they reacted was they kind of lost their minds on Abacus understandably right through yeah, yeah. stone magazine and spin magazine and we watched that i and think my that brother earlier i think i must have read that because yeah. i was subscribed to both of those magazines then too yeah so for yeah. sure right so they did a big article and they kind of lambasted abacus and century media and i took note of that and what we decided to do is just kind of talk to them peacefully about it we're yeah. like hey listen you know our album we delivered it like seven eight months ago we're waiting for this to come out this is we we've we've got a lot of hype. We're waiting for this to happen. And when we went down there, the honest truth was they weren't sure when they were going to release it. So we eventually came back to Winnipeg, chatted with all the guys and we, we made a decision that we would buy the album back. Okay. So we bought the album back at a much discounted price, which I, is great. Bet, they, were, yeah, yeah. they were really cool about it. They were super cool about it. They were like, yeah, we don't want to hold your guys career back, but we just don't know what we're doing with you right now. So anyway, so the album, we ended up, uh, licensing it to Curve and Universal Music, um, and then so getting long story short, I've gone off on a tangent it's here. Okay, it's okay. But, Interesting but tangent. There, yeah, but there was a third album. So Fear of Falling Skies got released. It got released really well in Canada. It did not get released well in Europe, which was, was really unfortunate because that's our best territory in terms yeah. of sales. And or the states, it didn't get released well. So not as many people are familiar with that album. But we also released that Division EP. We added added three or four more songs and that album came out on a, on a, on release as a full length 
in Europe, okay. and it's okay. called it's called uh, on Cortex and Rap, uh, Grapes of Wrath Records. Okay, called uh, Division. Did that ever come out here? I don't know if it ever did. I don't think like that. We released on our own the EP. Yeah, but we never released the full album, and it's actually we're quite proud of that album. I mean, it's it's the earlier stages of the band. It's less polished, but it's kind of cool. And at some point, we'll we'll probably put it out. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to find that yeah. when you do because I yeah. tend to tend to try yeah. and collect as much as I can, right? No, For sure. Well, I, I can even probably get you a copy nice. of the song. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love yeah. to hear it, yeah. Um, yeah. That's super cool. So I know you said that that band is still kind of on hiatus, sort of, but also sort yeah. of active. Uh, when did it sort of stop being a, a full-time project, I guess? So what happened with that band is uh, with Fear of Falling Skies, it came out and we'd done a couple more tours, the States and Europe. And, and we really, it was going great, actually. Everything was going great, especially Europe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Mike Goreski, our bass player, he was getting married and talking of having kids. So he, he kind of, very everybody that ever has been in that band I've had nothing but great relations with. Kevin Felix was the original bass player, the guy from Twelve Eyes. He left because he was having a child, and uh, and that was totally cool. Yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah. and then later on, uh, Buck Geringer, who was also in a band called The Harless, he played yeah. bass with us. Great player, great musician, great guy. He he quit because he really wanted to continue with The Harless. He was the front person in that band. Great band. That was a good band, yeah. Yeah, really good band, and uh, Mike Goreski joined the band. He was in Riverdale High. Oh, I love it. That's my favorite. Well, yeah, I, I saw that one yeah. tape I got a, at Corefest one year, and it's, it's I still great. have it. It's falling apart, but I listen to it like monthly. You know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So good. yeah, great music, and also great guys. Another band that I thought really could have gone places. Yeah, they were unbelievable, yeah. And uh, so Mike joined the band, and that was exciting because we've been friends, and that's when the band, something about it took off. Like we, we just had a connection with songwriting. But anyway, getting back to your original, original point, the yeah. uh, question. So Mike uh, got married and uh, same thing. You know, I think there was thought of having, having children. And on top of that, he, uh, he had his own business going. So he was busy. And I think he was, he was ready to spend more time with family. So we, we replaced him with Ethan Oslin, which was is Sam's brother. Yeah. And then my brother as well, you know, he's a couple years older than me. I, I'll never forget this. My brother came over to my house and he was, he said, I need to talk to you. And he was really choked up. And he just, cause he, I'd kind of given him start, his start with touring. He'd always wanted to be in a touring band. And I held that spot open for him. He was pretty emotional. He said, you know, I mean, I'm getting married and, you know, thinking about starting family. My brother was also like a super talented architect. Oh, cool. Okay. And and he was ready to start his career, so he's like, you know, I mean, I I want to keep touring, but I think I got to do this. And you know, I was like, of course, right? So Sam and Ethan and I continued, and we brought a few different people in to play guitar. We did a couple more European tours, and our last European tour was no word of a lie. It was twenty six countries in two and a half months. Wow. And that's, and that's a lot of touring, yeah. Crazy. And that tour was with Ignite. It was with uh, Strung Out. Oh, cool. It was with uh, Death Before Dishonor, or was it with Death by Stereo? One of, the, one of those bands. We toured with both those bands in Europe. It was with uh, Terror. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the craziest tour. And we did two and a half months on that tour. And uh, I got back off that tour 
I mean, literally got off the plane and walked into the faculty of education. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we didn't stop, but we were kind of on a hiatus. We just decided to take a little break. Sam ended up uh, working with the Goo Goo Dolls and then, okay. and then Counting Crows for a long time. And uh, Ethan started working with Danko Jones, yeah. doing tech work as well. And we just kind of, it just kind of took a break, really. Um, and then we actually, we, we had another guy join the band when I was in school. And we there are like six or seven Burn the Egg track tunes that are record, written and recorded that no one's ever heard. Oh, cool. Which at some point might come out or we might re-record them. And so, yeah, we went on hiatus and I went back to school and became a teacher. And uh, But uh, we do... You know, Sam and Ethan and I and our friend Ruben still get together regularly. And, we, you know, I've written probably 10 or 12 songs for that band, whether it's Burn the Trick, A-Track or not. Yeah. So there, there's a bunch of music there that hasn't been released as well. So, yeah, that's kind of that ended up happening probably around 2008, 2009. Okay. We did our, la we did our last tour in Canada with, with Bad Religion, which was great. And it was Bad Religion and... Uh, the Bronx, who okay, I yeah, love. Yeah, it's a cool band, oh, yeah, for sure. Great band. Incredible band. Did they do the mariachi uh, thing? Or? They, not on that. Not on that. Did, yeah, but yeah, yeah, also amazing. That's cool, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we, we finished that while I was still in school. And, and yeah, I mean, we've never actually broken up. It's yeah. just we're doing our thing, you know? What do you think is the future of that? Is Are you happy with it being just the way it is, where you're still you know getting together and, and playing music and not necessarily touring or recording? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't know the answer to it because, uh, you know, I, I, I have, I love that band. I love that band. I, I'm, I love Guy Smiley too. Yeah. But Burn the A-Track for something to me, I worked so hard to get it to where it was, as we all did. And uh, I was just so proud of, of uh, our writing. So, no, I would love to release music. I would love to play more shows. And, you know, I mean, there's people that still ask about, both those bands yeah. and so i don't know the answer to that but uh but we'll see what happens yeah no fair yeah. enough that's i mean that's the best yeah. answer you can give right i was gonna yeah. ask next about whether there's any chance of a guy smiley reunion but i think you just kind of said it that you don't know what's going on right like yeah well that's that's also a different one we did a reunion show in 2011 which feels like yesterday which is crazy time yeah, as like you know years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. insane yeah but uh and that it the year before that is when we all sat down and we kind of put our differences aside. Now, I mean, not all of us had issues with each other, yeah. but a couple of us did. And, 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 you know, they were probably unwarranted. It was just a matter of being together too much, but that was such a healing thing for us. We practiced for that show three days a week for about six months. Oh, cool. And we, cause we decided if we we're doing it, we're taking it very seriously. Well, we've all become good friends since then. Which That's is awesome, really man. wonder wonderful, yeah, and uh, and we talk all the time. There there will be a reunion show for sure. Yeah, I, I would say in the near future. Cool. And who knows if there'll be more shows? You know, as on top of that in other cities, but there might. I, I think it's safe to say there'll be a show. Cool. That's, sure. that's great to hear. Yeah, very happy yeah. to hear that. Um, so what are you working on now? I know you you said you have some uh, kind of newer stuff that you've been doing. Yeah, recently. yeah. It's funny. I mean, I've actually been writing music for just solo independently on top of the stuff I've been doing with the guys from Burning the track because it's different. It's not, it's not in the same vein. Uh, I mean, there's elements of it that are, but no, I, I, I write 
and record a whole bunch of solo stuff and play everything on it. And, and I've just been doing it more for fun. But, you know, it's gotten to the point where I'm kind of proud of the tunes and uh, I record it myself. So I actually today on SoundCloud was the first time I made any of it public. And I put cool. out a couple songs. And it's it's definitely not in the same vein of, of so if people are Guy Smiley fans and Burn the A-Track fans. I mean, there's elements to that, but it's not as heavy. Uh, but yeah, so I do my own stuff. I write a lot of music and, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And then uh, on top of that, I've been working on another project with a friend more actually heavier than anything I've probably done more thrash cool uh and and maybe metal that, that could be compared to maybe something like Iron Maiden as well who are my all-time favorite band um and then I, I recently recorded uh, vocals for We Are 138 by the Misfits for a, a, an album that's going to be coming out in the new year uh a tribute album to the Misfits oh, cool. so that's awesome yeah very cool yeah, so I've been strangely busy actually <laughs> is your new stuff under your own name like is that uh yeah, the name is just D K U N, so okay. D Kuhn. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and it it can be found on SoundCloud. Just I've just what I'm going to do is I'm going to release a couple songs every week or two. Cool. Well, yeah. that, that was kind of my next question: is where where can people find this stuff? I mean, I know that Guy Smiley and Burn the A Track albums are they're out there. In they're the world. out like, there. Yeah, people can yeah. find them. Right. Well, what's the best? Like, if people want to hear your stuff in general, where would you direct them to? What's the best option there? Yeah. So so far, the only place I've released any of my solo stuff is on SoundCloud. And that's just D-K-U-N okay. under SoundCloud. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, for, for Guy Smiley and Burn the A-Track, I think most of it's on Spotify, uh, except for maybe that Division uh, yeah. album. I don't think it's on there. Um, and it's funny because with that, with Fear of Falling Skies, we actually licensed that album. So I think at this point we own it again fully. So we oh, might cool. end up doing a, doing a re-release of that album at some point. And then, you know, there's those two Guy Smiley tunes, which, in honestly, my opinion, are the two best Guy Smiley songs we've written that no one's ever heard. Cool. I, I, I'd like to, I think we'll probably talk about releasing those two at some point. Yeah, that would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, cool. Well, my, uh, my phone's about to die, so I'm going to wrap it up Fair <laughs> before, yeah. before we get cut off. But I really appreciate this. I mean, like, like I said, Guy Smiley was one of the first local bands that I kind of got into when I started getting into the local music scene. So it's very cool to kind of hear some of the history because yeah. I was, you know, I was a kid listening to that stuff and didn't really know anything about who you guys were. I saw you at all ages sure. shows and stuff, but you know, that was, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's nice to, nice to connect and, and hear about this stuff. And, Anytime, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and the thing is with that is, I've got a lot of stories from tours of other it. great other great bands that, you know, I think probably a lot of your listeners would, would be interested in. But, you know, bands like AFI and cool. Sick of It All and Good Riddance and Agnostic Front, because we became friends with all those guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've got some fun stories about that stuff. So whenever you want to chat, you let me know. Yeah, we might have to do a part two, I think. I think so, man. Right on, thanks. Hey, thank you.
Oh, no.